Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Jason Adams, Managing Director of the beautiful five red star property, Rockcliffe Hall. Coming up on today's show... Jason creates some instant jealousy. We've had no staff issues for the last two years. Phil shows his age. It's Snapchat. Is that, is that still a thing? And Jason recounts one particularly unbelievable story. So that has kind of stayed in my mind for many, many years. I can understand. You probably needed therapy after that. All that and so much more as Jason chats us through his story and journey to date. Jason's story is a prime example of what can happen when you take control of your career early and he gives a wonderful piece of advice for anyone just starting out in their career. He's worked in some of the most recognisable hotel names throughout the UK and demonstrates his care and attention throughout each role. Thanks so much, Jason. We're here each week telling the stories of the amazing people within hospitality, so please don't forget to give us a like, share and a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening. It really does make a huge difference. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the next episode of Hospitality Meets with me, your host, Phil Street. Today, we're back into the world of hotels, and I'm joined by someone who has made a bit of a name for himself within the world of country house hotels, with such names as Fox Hills, the Ligon Arms, amongst many others behind him, and now he finds himself at the helm of the stunning Rockcliffe Hall in the Northeast. So I'm, of course, talking about the excellent Jason Adams. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Phil. Good morning. How are you? Very well, thank you. Yes, it's been a, a funny old two years, but uh, yeah, we're getting there. Hasn't it just? That's a great way to sum it up. A funny old two years, for sure. <laughs> Have we ever learned so much about ourselves in a, uh, in a period of our lives? Absolutely not. And I'm, you know, obviously I've been in hotels now 27 years and various guises, but to, to walk into Rockcliffe Hall and six weeks later shut and then completely reword and rejig everything you've ever learned. Uh, in hotel keeping, regards to furlough and staffing, redundancies and costs and shutting down hotels, which have never been shut before. It, yeah. it really was a challenge, but also a good learning curve as well. Yeah. Do you know, I hadn't even put the timeline together there, actually, that you had been actually in your current role in such a short period of time before everything went a bit crazy. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, to be fair, my brief was, you know, to come in and, you know, have lots of uh, restructuring of the team, start looking at costs, uh, pushing revenues, bringing the team a bit more commercial. And, you know, in the first six weeks, you know, you kind of do a lot of observing about the team and what happens in the business, what decisions we made, what strategies are in place, and then we shut. So, you know, clearly I had so many ideas to put in place, but then literally the doors closed. The spa actually closed the Friday before the actual um, uh, formal closure. But uh, the interesting thing is it then allowed me to do things very much more quickly than I would probably have done over the next three to five years, restructuring. Um, sadly, redundancies came very quickly, which I clearly didn't want to do. And it's the first time I've been involved in redundancies. It's a very difficult thing to be doing, as of course, you know, yeah. putting people out of jobs is just a terrible thing to do. And, um, you know, luckily the hotel has come back. We've brought quite a few members of the team back, which is great. But still, it's a process I wouldn't want to go through again. And we've learned so much in lockdown, furlough, business rates and all those kind of things and and you know bringing back the team and you know well-being and healthcare of the team is very much prevalent now as it's ever been and it's yeah. really important to us 
Yeah, I'd, and I'd, well, I'd, that, if that's one of the greatest things we take from from all of this, that um, yeah, then then actually sometimes you've got to go through some adversity to get to some new ways of thinking, some some rebalancing of things, and uh, and I think that's definitely a, a lot of people seem to have taken that from this period. Oh, absolutely, no no pain, no gain, as they say. No, indeed. So somebody said to me um, actually in the midst of recording these podcasts, I remember it was quite early on and talking to I, I can't even remember who it was. It was, it was somebody from America, so it's probably Jim Knight, and and he put a completely different perspective on things for me at the time when it was all fresh and nobody really knew what to make of it. How long were we? Well, at that time we were only going to be in lockdown for three weeks. Yeah, that, that changed so something chronic. But um, and he said to me very simple words: "What a time to be alive!" Eh? I mean, you know, when do we get an opportunity to learn how to deal with something like this? And I thought. I mean, you know, I like to think of myself as a positive person, but that was taking positivity to a whole new level. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I had to be positive for the team here. Clearly, there were still people working here, but also think about my family, who my son, who was like 1920, thinking he's, he's in prime of his life. He needs to be going out on holiday to a, a yeah. meeting with his mates and, you know, doing stuff. And he, he couldn't do anything. He was getting paid, but he wasn't working. And I felt so sorry for the younger generation that, you know, they weren't allowed to do and live their lives. But, you know, as we know, a lot of people now down the line, two years down the line, many, many, many people weren't able to live their lives and do the things they really wanted to do. And that's a very sad state of affairs. But I'm hoping now it's behind us. We can move on. We can push on forward and see what goes on in the next 12 months. It feels like it. It feels like we have uh, turned a a huge corner. and, And especially now in the midst of recording this on the 7th of April, there's a new variant. But they're going to be here all the time. But... The important thing is, is for the media to stop losing their proverbial stuff yes. over case numbers. Uh, I think you know case numbers are going to happen. It's uh, it's everything else that we need to keep a, a, a loose eye on. Yeah, I think that I think the government have been. I think I say clever, but not so clever. But they've also put the onus on the businesses now. They've kind of wiped their hands of it. You do what you want to do. We still have a policy in place. If you have COVID, you can't come to work. We, we encourage members, team members to stay at home, take holiday if possible. Um, but ultimately, we're going to have to live with it and get on with our lives because if we carry on doing what we've been doing in the last two years, we'll never, you know, we'll never do anything. Yeah, absolutely. So and that important. doesn't even uh, count the cost of what that impact has on mm. society in general. But anyway, that's not why we're here today. We're, um, <laughs> but uh, no, it's interesting to hear how, because uh, you know, you're having started the role you know, and not not a long time in the role before before that happened. It, I suppose it must feel a little bit like you now are kind of let off the leash, a little bit. Most definitely, I think two years as well as I mentioned. You know, we've had to learn a lot of things, do things very differently to what I was hotel keeping in the previous years. But now we have the strategies. We know what we're doing. The staycation market's still here. Um, you've probably seen the carnage at local airports, Manchester, Birmingham, Heathrow, the last couple of days, yep. which. I hate to say it, does encourage the staycation market because, you know, who wants to go in and stand in that for six hours and then miss their flight and whatever else? Who needs that hassle? Just yeah. come up to Northeast or anywhere in the UK, have a great holiday. I've done it myself. I've been to Scotland, I've been to Cornwall. We normally go abroad, but it's now time to stay in the UK, make the most of our beautiful country, uh, the beautiful hotels, restaurants, etc. So uh, we're all changing. Uh, and I think, you know, we've got a strategy in place now Rockcliffe's now in a very strong place, uh, and I think we're we're going good places and getting our name on, on the map, as it were. Yeah, I, I, the staycation market has just gone 
insane. I mean, the um, like you, I have looked to my own shores a lot more in the last little while because, as you say, the last thing you want, if your time off is precious, the yeah. last thing you want is to be spending half of half or a full day getting to an airport, staying there, and you know, and then actually maybe not even making your flight. I mean, I can't yeah. even comprehend what that would do to the mood. Yeah. So yeah, just jump in the car and get yourself up to the northeast. Are you are you County Durham? I mean, we're in County Durham. Literally, yes. we're a mile from North Yorkshire. So literally, right. you go out the drive, turn left over the bridge, and that's North Yorkshire. So we're pretty much on the cusp. And you know, Yorkshire Moors, you know, half an hour away, yeah. and it's beautiful. Like Northumberland, an hour away. Newcastle, forty minutes. We've got Saltburn, and we've got some beautiful areas up here. And I think um, we need to get the name of the northeast out there as, as a real destination. Absolutely. And you've got Croft Circuit there as well, yes, as, a, as a motor racing here. fan. Here the cars from here, absolutely. Uh, they're literally three miles up the road. And obviously got Durham City is up for a short list of uh, County Durham's up short list of City of Culture uh, for 2025. So Fabulous. we're all trying to push the local area. And I think there's a lot of investment here as well. The Treasury are moving to Darlington with Rishi Sunak. Um, so that's literally five minutes away as well. We've I got Freeport. Didn't know that. Yeah. So thanks employees from the Treasury moving to Darlington so to help this north-south divide. Right. So we've got a lot of good investment going in. We've got the biggest gigafactory battery for electric cars going in in, in north Newcastle uh, over the next couple of years. So there's huge investment here, and I think it's a really good place to be for employment, for destination, whether it be holidays. So there's a lot going on up here, and, and it's, it's a good time to be around the northeast. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, we're going to come back to Rockcliffe Hall down the, the line of the conversation. But before we kind of get into that in more depth, I, I, the reason why we're here is to learn about you and, and your journey and story. I mentioned a, a few names. I mean, you're you're one of the few people that I actually, when I do my research, which just involves looking on LinkedIn, basically, um, <laughs> is that you know I can see your whole career pretty much on there, which is fabulous. And you know, it, there's a, a hell of a rap sheet of places that you've worked for over the course of your career but what I loved actually is going if we go all the way back to the beginning it certainly looks like you might have started life in the kitchen. I did indeed I actually went to Western Supermare College for their education to study to be a chef and did my city and guild to BTEC diplomas which is all great. I started uh, my first real job at the Royal Crescent in Bath as a commie chef and yeah um, at the time it had Michelin star and um, if I'm completely honest I felt that I needed to be guest facing. At that point, I got in the kitchen, loved it, of course, but I was just missing that guest interaction. So um, I kind of, it's a really interesting thing. I, I kind of felt after the time I was at the Royal Crescent that it wasn't for me. So I applied to 50 hotels, the best 50 hotels in the UK at the time. And I was very young then, I was very, you know, green around the ears. But, and I applied to 50 hotels, Glen Eagles, the Manoirs, the Duke Glens of the world. And I think eight, six or eight replied to me saying, thanks, but nothing at the moment, etc." Yeah. And then one night, one very late night, and I can tell you, it's probably about 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night. The duty manager, who was the HR manager at the Manoir Cat Saison, phoned me and said, would you like to come for an interview? We're looking for a training manager tomorrow. Tomorrow? Yes, of course. <laughs> I was in Bath. That was obviously near Oxford. So it was like, I wasn't driving then, so my parents took me up there, arrived, got into the reception hall, and in walks Ayrton Senna and Alan Prost in reception, just as, as you do. Of course, yeah. Yeah, and this is my dream, like Formula One, wow, what's going on? 
It was British Grand Prix weekend. They had exclusive use for McLaren at the time, which they did every year. Um, had my interview, was shown around by the training manager at the time, was offered the job the next day. And then within two weeks, I started the role as a front of full porter. But it was a training management role. Yeah. So um, I spent a lot of time being front of full porter, you know, taking guest luggage, etc. It was just, you know, the start of everything. But then the training management scheme started and I, I worked in the kitchen with Clive Fretwell on the cookery school. I was his colleague for six months. had a great time with Clive and everybody in the industry will know Clive very well. Yeah. And then worked at the restaurant, reception, um, housekeeping, events. I worked the whole department. And I think uh, everything I've ever done, this has set me in good stead for my career going forward because the Manoir Standards, you know, there is nothing yeah. like the Manoir Standards. Two Mission Stars, Five Red Stars with it now. And it set me in a good place. And I think I, at the time I, I was there for four, four years, five years. I left there, was offered a very small GM role. I mean, general manager at 24. Wow. Um, and I was like, got to take this. It was a very, if I can be honest with them, it's a very rundown kind of three-star, 18-bedroom hotel on the outside of Oxford. But it gave me an opportunity to be a general manager. Yep. And it wasn't general manager in the same sink of, you know, you're sat in office doing accounts and strategies, etc. You were taking orders in the restaurant. You were checking people out. It was a very small place, but for a me, it was general. general manager, yeah, a general manager, general assistant, almost yeah. what it was. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I was there five years, but in those five years, we were, we became. I brought in Simon Cranage, uh, who was the head chef. He's now the food and beverage director at Grantley Hall. Um, he's he's had a wonderful career. He brought us three rosettes. We joined some small luxury hotels of the world. We won Condinas small luxury hotel with the Condinas Johansson's it's now. So we really achieved some really great things there in those five years and, and really brought the hotel to its forefront and, and, and built some good, good relationships with the industry people. And I was there for five years, had my family there at the time as well. So then five years later, 29, um, I was approached by um, Simon Rattigan, um, who now is in Scarborough, believe it or not, um, and Tom and Jocelyn Maxfield owned CM Hall. Um, CM Hall was just in the, in the basis of being opened and the spa wasn't open, the hotel was. Went up there for an interview. In fact, actually, I'll take back, it was actually for the Sambling, their sister property over in the Lake District. Right. Okay. But um, we, I interviewed and at the end of the interview said, well, why don't you come and run CM Hall, not, not Sambling? So it's like, well, I've never run a spa before. We'll teach you, we'll show you. So great it was an 18 bedroom hotel not much bigger than the previous hotel what, what hotel had run at studley priory but the trick here was it had 18 treatment rooms and 18 bedrooms and a huge spa fifty thousand square foot spa so it was a completely new thing to me when we set up the spa I had 60 six zero therapists um because of the wow. uh, yeah Crikey. so um, it turned over about five and a half million just in the spa but because of the ther about therapists amount of treatment rooms if you think that we still couldn't cover all them because the times that the treatment rooms were open from eight in the morning till 10 at night, we had to cover all that holidays, days off sickness. It was just about right. Yeah. And at the time, England, I think were using us at the time. There's a lot of footballers around in Newcastle, Sunderland, Hartlepool, Middlesbrough. So it was very popular at the time, very in. And I think funny enough to talk about Danny earlier, Danny came up to see him more to see, CM Hall Spa to set up Penny Hills Spa. I oh, think, really? Right. Ah. Which was now, but he's yeah, not Danny, stupid, that man, is he? Oh no, absolutely not. No, he's <laughs> one of the best. So that that was that was kind of CM Hall. Tom and Justin Maxfield then decided they wanted to sell up, and um, things changed slightly. So just by chance, coincidence, an opportunity came up from Patrick Burke in the in Jersey in Channel Islands, 
And we felt, you know, our son was very young, it would be a perfect time to go to the Channel Islands. And um, look at that, I got there, and Patrick won't mind me, mind me saying, I got there, green carpets, pink curtains, laminated menus. I thought, what am oh, I doing here? That's, but, not, that's you, a far cry from Le Manoir. Yes, of course. And I think, you know, the, 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 the good thing was that Patrick knowing he needed to upscale, be competitive. The, the Jersey Channel Island market was dying a death almost, really, because the, the Spains and you could go to Spain for half the price. Right. So yeah. he very quickly got on board and invested. We, we kind of rebranded the hotel. We gave the restaurant a name. It's Ocean at the Atlantic Hotel. I brought in Mark Jordan, who was currently, who was at Gilpin Lodge at the time. And when I arrived, we had kind of one rosette and the chef was very clear. It was like he was retiring. He was going on to do other things. So it's like it kind of could just fit it in. So Mark Jordan arrived and the new brand of the restaurant had been done. The hotel refurb had been done. And literally within eight, 10 months, we got three rosettes and then we got four rosettes. And then 10 months later, we got a Michelin star which was amazing yeah. and it wasn't expected to be honest because it wasn't it wasn't on our radar we were um how can i put it we were doing 100 covers for lunch every day so we were thinking oh we're never going to get a star so you know that's it yeah. but interestingly um in those days some years ago now the um, mission started brought out in january not october as they are now so we used to close in channel in january because it's a very quiet month and most of the island would shut down and it would be very seasonal and Mark and his wife at the time, and still is his wife, Magda, went off to uh, Poland for their January break. And uh, we got Michelin star and I couldn't get hold of Mark and tell him. <laughs> he didn't know for like three or four days. Oh. So um, that was quite fun. So he got, I got, actually got hold of him in the end and, you know, clearly said, oh, God, I thought somebody died. You know, I had 10 missed calls and whatever else. So it was, it was a great time for him to come back, really push out. The business went through the roof then. And, you know, Patrick quite clearly was very happy. He got a star, he got four rosettes. Yeah. Um, Did you set went... out to to achieve the star, Jason, or was that just one of these things that happened? I think I think because of the things we put in place, we always aspire to three rosettes. And I, I know there's always this question mark about, is three rosettes the same as a Michelin star? They, they want different things. But no, I have to say, no, probably not. It was three rosettes. That was our aim. We worked close to the AA and we just got it and we were so surprised. But I think, you know, great. We had it. Well, they had it there for years. Um, then Chef Mark left and went on to accept his own business after after I'd left. So I think all in all, we, we also won Pride of Britain Hotel of the Year when I was there as well. So it was a good time for Jersey and the Channel Islands at the time. And I think, you know, that, that continues from a food point of view over there. You've got Bohemia who's got a star. You've got the Grand, I think, Sassali's got a star. And Longer Man, I've got three rosettes. So there's still very foodie island. And it, it, it does work very well. It's a beautiful place to live. Yeah. So that was the Atlantic. Where, where next? So, yes. In fact, being honest, what actually brought us back to uh, the UK is my wife's uh, mother passed away. So we got stuck on the island in fog. Because when it fogs, the airport shuts. Right. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. For three or four days, we got stuck on the island. We realized, you know, the, you know, we can't do this anymore. We need to be back on the UK. So that was a good kind of good decision. I then uh, met up with Mark Chambers, the MD of Eden Hotel Collection, one, had three hotels at the time, um, and Peter Rick was the owner who, who now owns SCC and uh, various seven or eight hotels. We were going to uh, open up the, the Arden, right opposite the Royal Shakespeare Theatre in Stratford-upon-Avon, and um, it had been literally, and I cannot tell you, when we looked at it, it was a thistle before, and it literally had sticky carpets, and 
it was in a dreadful state. Lovely. So, yeah. so Peter invested you know, five million pounds on the property. We built a beautiful champagne terrace outside overlooking the theatre, and it went went bonkers mad. It was, you know, average roommate at the time. We're talking, you know, when we're talking about 10, 15 years ago now. Um, average roommate was just over two hundred pounds a night net and um the champagne bar and the F and B operation went really crazy as well. So we had a good relationship with the RSC. Lots of actors used to come and stay with us and we, we really nailed it there. And it, 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 we then again joined SLH uh, and it really worked and it was a good thing to do. And I think I'm still very proud of it as it is now. It's in a beautiful location. My son still lives in Stratford and um, I think just Stratford is, is an amazing place because of the theatre. Um, they've obviously had a hit uh, over the last 12, two years with no uh, overseas travels, with no Americans, Chinese, Japanese, but I think that's slowly going to come back. Yeah. So that's that's really the Arden, and then uh, Fox Hills came about, and again my book, big first resort job, and to be honest, absolutely loved it. It was really big, and we're talking three golf courses, a huge spa, seventy bedrooms, twelve tennis courts, crash, wow, um, yeah. you name it, it had it. So um, it really was a real good learning curve for me. The owner was so helpful to me, kind of me growing and me learning. Obviously, around the corner from Penny Hill, we met Danny quite a lot, and we had quite a good few relationships. With three and a half thousand members there as well, so it was uh, quite um, an outlook into how membership and how the revenues go in, in hotels like that, and having a good strategy. Um, we had a good refurbishment program, and you know, Fox has gone from strength to strength. There, uh, we hosted the PGA Cup, which is the biggest amateur golf tournament behind the uh, Ryder Cup. There yep. when I was there. And we took on a couple of very good people. And now I've gone on to do bigger and better things, you know, for director of golf I took on. He was a um, he was a head pro at a local golf course in High Wycombe. He's now the director of golf at Belfry. Right. So, so to have those kind of bring those people on, build them up and then move them on, I think is a very great thing to do for, for employees when they're working for you. And I, I don't mind staff leaving if they're going to go on and do bigger and better things. Yeah, I think that's it's almost good people Unless you can provide a, a very, I suppose, clear and diverse path for them to go within your property, people, good people leaving is inevitable, isn't it? I mean, you know, of you've course. got to let them go get their wings. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we grew, we worked really well together. We grew together and I was learning, he was learning. But he came to me one day and said, look, Jason, I need to leave. And I was like, well, why? But this is on, this is on the table. And I said, I can't blame you. You know, when the Belfry come to you and ask you to be director of golf, one of the best golf courses in the country, the history of the Ryder Cup, etc. You can't turn it down. Mm. So, um, you yeah, know, I'm also proud that he's worked for me. He's learned a lot from me and the place we work together, and he's gone and do bigger and better things. And that's all I want from my team members. Yeah, but that that right there is class because mm. I remember uh, I'm a recruiter, as you probably know uh, by day, and you know I've I've headhunted many a person over the years, and I always remember. One specifically, when I, I, I had the hotel manager roll on at the Connaught in London, yeah. and I uh, pulled a guy out of uh, the Merion Hotel in Dublin mm-hmm. to go there, and he's gone on to amazing things himself. And but I also I always remember the point of him resigning from the Merion Hotel, and his boss saying to to him, "Look, I'm I'm almost proud of the fact that we've been able to nurture somebody good enough." to go to yeah. the Connaught. Um, yeah, and I thought, I, I, it's just, that is, it's such a, 
a, a wonderfully classy response mm. to a key member of your team leaving. Mm. Yeah. You know, and I, but what's the point in standing in their way if the if the, you've got to kind of let them go with blessing? Absolutely. And I think, you know, the great thing about when Chris was with me, and I'm sure he'll, he'll expect this, we grew the, the course, the membership experience, the golf shop, the revenues, the strategy across all areas of golf. And we both learned from it. It was my first golf, golf club as well. So I've learned from Chris. Chris has learned from me, the hotel side. And we've really gone on to do our bigger and better things, especially Chris. And, you know, he's not just one of them. There's, there's two or three probably that I could mention, but he always sticks in my mind as that person. Whereas, of course, I want to keep you, but I don't want to stand in your way. Absolutely not. You need to go off and, you know, build this, build the belfry to what it, you know, even better than it is today. So for me, it was really important, but yes, it happens. And as you say, if there's nowhere else for him to go, then you've got to let him go. Yeah. Yeah. Because at least then they leave positively rather than, absolutely. I hate it here now because I'm being stunted. Yeah, absolutely. You can't have that. I mean, I'd rather somebody would go if they felt in that way. And I'm yeah. hoping that we have a good enough relationship that we'd be able to talk about those kind of things. Yeah. So, you know, so uh, Fox Hills, was, that was that. And, you know, we grew revenues, we grew profit margins there significantly, and, and it was a good time. And I think the owner, Mark, is still the MD there, and he's, he's a very good man, and the family are lovely. So I then, it then took me back to, back to the Ligon Arms, in fact, uh, as general manager there. And um, the reason I went back there is because it was back at home, because I was actually commuting and staying down in Surrey and commuting back okay, at weekends, right. etc. So um, after kind of four or five years, it was kind of, I would say tedious is the wrong word, but, you know, clearly I have a family and sometimes you've got to think about your family as well. Yeah. So I went back to Ligon, um, 86 bedrooms, fairly smallish spa in a country, you know, country house, Cotswold Village, beautiful. Um, and when I would get there and Andrew Stenbridge won't mind, mind me saying, it was fairly quiet. Um, the room rates were very, very high. Uh, the spa was fairly quiet. The F&B operation was quiet. Um, and I think Iconic as they will say, they've been running five-star operations, so they tried to put the five-star element into the four-star leg and arms. And the price point just wasn't there. So we had many discussions with our commercial director, Lee and Andrew, and we debated quite a lot about it. And it was, it was you know, very positive in the end that we decided to lower the rates to drive occupancy for the rooms, which have incremental spend in the spa and, and the food and beverage. And it absolutely transformed the business. It was like turning a tap on. So right. I think of all my decisions I've ever made in my hotel experience, that is probably one of the best ones we've ever made um, because it literally transformed it from kind of making a, a loss after making a major refurb into a £1.8 million profit, um, 27% of it. So those were great times. But it also shows you that, that it's not a one-size-fits-all approach, right? I mean, the, the, you've got to understand your marketplace. You've got to understand the, the property's capability where its strengths are, its weaknesses, and all of these things, and that you can't just take what's worked somewhere Absolutely. else and, and uh, roll that out in the next place. Yeah, I think one of my key strengths, I would say, is I've managed a Michelin-style restaurant, I've managed a seaside resort, a big golf resort, a country house hotel, uh, and all these things, and I can pull little things from all those different areas to make sure the property I'm managing can work right. Because, as you say, it doesn't always fit. And we've got to try different ways and do different things until it works. And I'm, I'm not one for changing things because change is right. You change it because you think it's the right way to do it. If it doesn't happen, you put your hands up and say, that didn't yeah. work. Yeah. But you've got to try some things. And luckily, that did change things dramatically. And, that, and that's carried on since I've left, which is great. So uh, I'm really pleased with Ligon. And, uh, you know, it's a great operation. But, you know, Rockcliffe came up. 
being the MD of a five-red star property, you know, was something I couldn't turn down. Clearly, I'd been in the Northeast before, so I knew the area with CM Hall. My wife wasn't too uh, I'd come back to the Northeast, but when she saw <laughs> Darlington, the hotel, we bought a house in lockdown. She's transformed now. So, you know, yeah, the Rockcliffe is, is where we are now, and we've got... We've had lots of things going on. We've got lots of plans going on, which I'm sure we discussed. But, you know, it really is uh, a very beautiful place. We've got an amazing team here. And I'm, I'm glad to say, I say Touchwood, and my hotelier colleagues will be very jealous of this. We've had no staff issues for the last two years. Wow. Yeah, well, that is a big win. Yes. In yeah. in the midst of, um, of what feels like everybody's yeah. pulling in the same direction at the moment. Yeah. And our, our, our ops director, Chris, who's actually um, moved on to actually the Grand in York, believe it or not, um, he went to the Institute of Hospitality, I think, in London and, and presented our, why we haven't had staff issues. And some of the hoteliers were kind of gobsmacked, the things we were doing in lockdown. And I think without sounding rude to other hoteliers, I think they've realised they should have done a lot more in lockdown for their team members. I've talked to some team members of hotels clearly with name nameless, but having even spoken to their manager or MD or GM yeah. in the whole of lockdown. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, so, that's almost unforgivable. Um, yeah. without, without knowing who it is, I, I don't want to offend anybody on this show. But at the same time, if you've not been doing that, then I think you've completely misread the situation um, yeah. that, that we're in. I think people more than ever need to know that they are part of something mm. and that they're respected and that, you know, they've got a place to flourish. Yeah, and I think we were, we were in the worst scenario being in the Northeast. And I hate to say, you know, we're all in lockdown in the first phase and then we reopened uh, summer 2020. Well, God, where is it now? 2021, I can't remember now. But then we had to close in October two years ago because we had track and trace here with all our chefs. So right. we closed for two weeks and then we were put into tier three from November so then we had to close uh, a little bit earlier. Than the, you know, literally hotels a mile down the road were still open because they were in North Yorkshire. Yeah. So we were in County Durham in two or three. So it's a bit crazy. So, Isn't that, um, yeah. so we closed. And the sad thing is we literally just spent like 16 grand putting Christmas decorations up for our Christmas guests. And then we yeah. were told to shut. So it was like, Christ. So all the staff were kind of, you know, their, their emotions were going up and down all the time. And we had to kind of keep them engaged. And we had, you know, we nearly had 50 staff still working here. Um, at the time, we still had commercial team, we still had reservations, we still had security, concierge, greenkeeping estates. We didn't want to let the you know the estate go to go to you know, grass, as it were. Mm. So uh, we wanted to make sure that. But ultimately, in that time, we still had to make sure that the team members were still on board. And you have to remember also we were going through redundancy processes at the same time. Um, that they were fully involved in what we were doing, what was happening, being communicated to. You know, we did. What we still do, in fact, it went out yesterday. We now do what's called a Rocky Roundup. Um, and in lockdown, it was talking about um, people going for walks, what bacon they were doing, what they were doing with the kids, with the pets. And it, it, it's, it's a small thing, but everybody loved it. And everybody gave all their pictures of what they were doing at home and their walks. And they felt a sense of belonging um, yeah. at, at Rockcliffe Hall. And I think that's continued. And we've had, we had Bongo Bingo. We've had quizzes. I dress up at Santa on the Santa call, you know, it's silly things like that, but it might mean nothing to some people, but it means a lot to a, a fair few of them. Yeah. And I think that was important. And we Absolutely. kept going on with that and we kept going and we kept communicating. We had team meetings, we had online training and everybody, and I mean, everybody was communicated to and spoken to almost, well, more than weekly, probably every other day. 
So there was always that interaction with me, um, the ops team, the senior team, and they were all doing their thing as part of this to make sure that they felt, still felt included. And that's really important. It's not difficult, though, is it? That's the, the thing. If you just think about the human element yeah. of all of this is that, you know, let's just more than ever, let's stay together. Let's you know figure yeah. out a way to with the conditions that we have to to be able to come together and still feel like we are a team and that we still belong together and all of these simple humanistic things. Yeah, I think it actually made us all stronger. I mean, clearly I was I was new, you know, when the first lockdown happened. On the second day of lockdown, I got a card, a thank you card from the spa therapist to say, my God, you've walked into this, you're dealing with this now, you must have a nightmare job. And to have, you know, bottles of wine and stuff and thank you cards, it's just, you don't get that normally. And it's, yeah. you know, you then realise what sometimes a good job you're actually doing until you step back and think about what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. And I now know uh, which photograph I'm going to request from you to go on the front cover of the podcast as well, that, pic- that <laughs> okay. picture of Santa. Oh, yes, I can give you that. That's not a problem. <laughs> so, yeah, so... So yes, the lockdown was was challenging, but you know, as we all know, lockdown finished and uh, we came out the other side. And extraordinary demand for the staycation market, and we saw um, what did we do? We saw um, people who would normally go to let's go one family in particular. They would be ten people. They normally go to the Algarve for their holiday with their family. Decided they can't go. They're not going to go. Instead of spending you know ten grand going to on holiday, they would come here. And spend ten grand here instead. Yeah, they'd have like five or okay, six rooms. <laughs> yeah, absolutely great. No problem. Take you on. Yeah, but we've got a couple of houses. We've got apartments. We've got we had got something for everybody. And we had to evolve by thinking, you know, what can we do to look after these guests? Our our stay um, overnight stay rate was one point two days before lockdown. It's now three point four. So people are on site for longer. We need to have more dining options, more events, more activities for them. More, more relationships with um, local attractions. And we've done that very, very well, and it's really worked. And I think the people who have been here have spent well. Some of them not needed to leave site um, because they've had dinner in one restaurant, then another restaurant, then another restaurant. We've had that. We have room service to houses, all that kind of stuff. We've got birds of prey, picnics all arranged. So there's lots of things they can do on site without leaving. And sad to say, my, my kind of commercial head, they don't need to go elsewhere to spend money. They've got It's all here on the doorstep. So yeah. we've got 400 acres and we've got a spa, we've got golf, we've got everything. So there's no need to leave. Yeah, well, that's the beautiful thing about having a, a resort with such uh, expansive land, isn't it? At the, you know, and the key thing in there, I think, is giving people options. Yes. Uh, is giving them an, an excuse to stay in today. Mm. And of course, you want them to go out and see what the Northeast has got to offer, but you want them to come back and enjoy your hospitality. Yeah, and I think that's, that's the key that you just said about, you know, having options. I mean, when I arrived back in January 2020, if you came and stayed as a guest on a, let's say, Monday or Tuesday night, the clubhouse, because it was golf-orientated, was shut in the evenings, and then the Orange was always closed Monday, Tuesday. Right. So you only had one restaurant uh, if you came and stayed at a five-star resort, which I thought was a lunacy. Yeah, so yeah. now... Um, we have three offerings and three very, very different offerings. We've got the Orange, which is our kind of flagship restaurant. We've got the Clubhouse, which is our kind of golfer's stroke, you know, I'd say, I'd say burgers and chips, more than that, these you nice know, salads, etc. But then we've got Nusana, which is our healthy option. So there's something for everybody and three very different dining options. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's key, making sure there's some variety for our guests who are staying here or visiting us or even our members. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would quite happily eat fine dining every night, but I think that does... Well, I know that this becomes cumbersome after a certain amount of days. Um, we've all stayed in resort properties whereby, uh, at the end, you're just craving beans on toast. Yes, absolutely. I agree completely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, that's that's great. What I'd Actually, going back to the beginning of your story, I, I, mm. what I love about that is this concept of you sending out making a list of the places that you'd like to work for and sending out applications to them. And why I love that is because that really sings to me. That's pretty much exactly the same thing that I did at the beginning of my career with cruise ships. I had made up my mind I wanted to work on cruise lines. And it it amazes me, and I don't know if you feel the same on this, is that actually that's just you being a little bit proactive about your career and the fact that where do I want to go? And you've got an idea in your head as to what you want to be doing. I don't know specifically where that's going to take me at this point, but I do know that I'd like to go and learn or work for these companies. And and I think a lot of people can take lessons from having that kind of proactivity when it comes to starting out in your career. Yeah, I think, you know, the world's a very different place now, as we all know, but, you know, in those days, I say those days, I'm not that old, but in that time, <laughs> I was like the memoir, you know, you worked there because you had drive, you had passion, you wanted a career. And every, everybody there, with bar none, was driven to get the best out of you, whether it be the manager, your, your kind of, you know, chef to party next year, whatever it may be. But they were all working so hard to get the best. And I think, you know, things have changed in that sense. And I, I don't want to be rude to our, you know, millennials, but my philosophy here now is because I've had to change the way I manage people is I want you to come to work, do a good job and go home. I, whereas probably 10 or 15 years ago, I said, right, you need to push yourself. You need to, I want you here. I want you there. I want you that time. I want you that time. You can't do that anymore. Yeah. You have to treat people with a bit more uh, kid gloves, as it were, making sure that they get a good work-life balance. Their well-being is, is set to, to be able to work and have a good home life. We have support mechanisms here for various things, whether it be the menopause, whether it be mental health, whether it be gambling, whether it be alcohol. They're all here at Rockcliffe if you want help. A lot of people do want to help, but a lot of people won't say anything. But we need to be ready for those team members to make sure that if they need help, we are here. Yeah. Um, whereas 15, 20 years ago, it was get on with it, push yourself, and that's it. Yeah. Why are you so, mourning? Let's. Yeah, exactly. Let's go. And things have changed much. And, you know, I'm from that old school mindset, if you want to call it that, that I really want to push on. And I still get frustrated now where things take too long to get done. But, you know, I don't go in there feet first and say, right, so what can we do to help? How can we do this? Let's 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 work together on this instead of you know I could say right what the hell's going on get out of my office you know but you <laughs> can't do that you just can't so yeah we've got to work with people and if you work with them you're going to get a lot more out of them instead of screaming and bawling at them it's as simple as that yeah again it's not it's not difficult when you break it down into to small blocks like that I mean at, at the end of the day if you have a situation whereby you need to move something forward and maybe it's not moving forward at the rate that you would like it. You're, if you lose your stuff again, there's that proverbial stuff again. Um, then that's just going to me anyway. That alienates people. Yeah, it's not going to help them get back to where you need them to get to, in, in order for everybody to come together and to work through this issue that we need to get past or, or move forward beyond. Yeah, it's interesting because one of the things I, I've kind of instilled here at, at Rockcliffe is that before I would have probably said as a GM before I said, right, I want this done, this, this, and this. We don't work like that here. I get my exec team around me and say, look, I as the MD would like to do this. 
I need you to buy into it. So what can we do to change it, tweak it to make sure it works for you? We're just in the process of actually changing our um, mission statement. Yep. So I could have said, right, with HR, with marketing, I'm, this is a new mission statement. But no, I've got the senior team in, I've included them, I made it completely inclusive so they buy into it. So they can't say there's nothing to do with it. Uh, I was just told this is how it is. So they're all on board with it. They all understand it. They're all going to push it. They all understand why we're doing a mission statement and why they need to buy into it. So I think, again, that management style in myself has changed over those years where, you know, again, I'd say, right, this is what's going on, but we can't do that anymore. It's yeah. like we need you on board. And if we want you on board, then we need you to be a part of the process. Yeah, and, and I suppose ultimately that's uh, that comes down to evolution of leadership, um, yeah. I suppose, and the fact that, you know, actually by doing that, you're getting the best out of your specialists. Yes. Really, your role as the leader of all of the specialists is to get the specialists to step up and be as special as they can. Sorry, Absolutely. that sounds really trite, but... No, no, it does. But I think on, on top of that, you know, in fact, when I was in Jersey, Malcolm Lewis, owner of Longville Manor, said to me one day, and I still remember it, this is 20 years ago, don't employ people to do a job and then ask them to do it, to do it yourself. Yeah. You know, you're employing professionals, let them get on with it. Don't micromanage them, let them do their job because that's what you've paid them for. They have yeah. experience in that area. It's the same with my team here. I've got some here, golf expert, I've got a spa expert, I've got a commercial expert, I've got a rooms expert, I've got a head concierge. They all know exactly what they're doing. All I need to do is put them on the right path to say, there's the goal, what's the journey? Yeah. And that's it. Yeah, I mean, it's simple, but it, it's not that simple. But no, indeed, indeed. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, we're we're talking about human beings, and, and yeah. you know, at any given time, uh, you know, things can change in somebody's life, and that that throws mm. everything out. You take one Absolutely. cog out of a well-working machine, and you've got to find a yeah. different cog, and all of these things. There's, but that's what I suppose what makes it interesting and different. Yeah. If it was I mean, if it was easy every day, it would be boring, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, that's to say what, why I'm in hospitality. No, no day is the same. There's different challenges. There's some good days and bad days, but the bad days, you just deal with it, move on to the next day. That's how it is. You can't dwell on it. I mean, one of my, you know, again, one of my management styles is, you know, yes, we have a bad day. We deal with it. We put it to bed. We forget about it. We move on. We get positive. We can't carry on thinking about what happened yesterday. Oh, my God, what a mess. What a nightmare. You can't because everybody, everybody's morale will be on the floor. Yeah, so we just absolutely. Learn from, it. learn from it, of course, uh, and, and move on. Yeah, there is only now. That's the uh, that's that's another thing. <laughs> I'm just dropping cliches for fun now. In uh, in in this kind of, I think everybody expects that at some point Phil will drop a cliche gold, um, <laughs> or maybe not gold, but anyway. Yeah, well, I mean, great. The other uh, things, the, the other notes that I made were, it seems like your journey has always like the move that you've made has always had uh, a purpose. It's not because you have necessarily, it's not, well, it's not always been about the fact that you've just done your time in a place and it's time to move on. You've seen something in the next place that you're going that will add value to you in terms of what that mm. brings to your skill set, which you then have moved on into the next and so on and so forth. And it seems like you're always, certainly your, your story comes across as being that the places that you've been, you've always made better in whatever way they needed to be made better and then maybe time to to move on to the next project yeah and i think you know uh, for me i always learning as i mentioned earlier i think the important thing is here i very carefully chosen each property not because you say oh it's time to move on 
I very much the fact that, you know, there are people who get to a point in their careers where they, they do need to move on because either they're bored, they've done what they can achieve in that place. With me is I know that each property I've been to, it needed change, it needed to make a difference. And I'm lucky enough and to be proud to say that I've made a massive difference to some of those properties. Yeah. So for example, uh, we can go back to the Arden, you know, Arden went from that dirty thistle to what it was today, whether it be the Studley Priories or whether it be um, the Ligon's financial status going forward, even Fox Hills. I mean, Fox Hills was, was okay, but it came out the other end after five years, you know, with increased membership, increased revenues, increased profit. And it's not just looking at the revenues and the strategy, it's looking at the cost base, how can we increase membership? And it's the same here, you know, it didn't make an awful lot of money here at Rockcliffe at the beginning. But, you know, lock, lockdown came. It gave me time to look at the costs across the business. We come out the other side, the staycation market's booming. We're now making four times what we were making before. Wow. And that's in two years, but 12 months, that's been closed. So I know there's more in the pot. Um, Mr. Gibson, our owner, he's very supportive. Um, we've got lots of plans for Rockcliffe the next three to five years. So, you know, there's lots on the market. Mr. Gibson owns the Middlesbrough Football Club as well. So we have a relationship there. We've got, tried to get the Rockcliffe brand out a lot more as well. So we've got the Rockcliffe Lounge at Teesside Airport, which is the business lounge. We've got the private jet terminal, which is the Rockcliffe Lounge also. Right. We've got um, the Rockcliffe Lounge at the, the Riverside Football Club in Middlesbrough now, which is our lounge. We invite our guests. And I've just set up an, um, uh, an agreement with Darlington Train Station. Okay, not no salubrious destination, but it's a direct train into London. Um, they've got £103 million investment going to that train station. I think it was the first train station in the UK. Um, and we're going to take over the first class lounge there as well. So we're just getting that name trickling out to the local area to start with, and then we'll, we'll move a bit wider. But uh, uh, things are going in the right direction. That's the main thing. Yeah. I, well, I think that connection with community is a massive part of right. successful business uh, in any form. And that's not just within hospitality, but especially within hospitality, because... Yeah. You know, that's you taking the hospitality mentality to your local surroundings. Yeah, oh, I mean, we've got we're in a village just on the outskirts of Darlington. Um, we do a lot of uh, stuff for the village, village itself. Uh, believe it or not, rather strangely, we've worked with Herworth Bee Society, and we brought fifteen of their beehives onto our site here to help them with, you know, honey and bees and whatever else, and trying to yeah. make sure it's another feature around our property. So as much community work we can do as possible, you know, helps us dramatically within the within the local neighborhood. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, ultimately I have a, a, a big kind of bee, bee in my bonnet, sorry, I didn't do that on purpose, um, <laughs> around that actually sometimes people have lost sight what a good business should be. And it's not just about, you know, people profit planet, that's a mm. massive part of it. But actually, you know, people who are doing business properly have such a wonderful opportunity to transform things for the good, generally uh, speaking. Yeah. And I think a lot of time, if the focus has just been about profit, then that that can get lost down the line. I think my, my team members weren't as commercial as they, they should have been. They are now because we're doing a lot more um, kind of team events, talking about the commerciality of it all. But for the team, I find that their interest is really through social media, Rockyville. So they'll, they'll, they'll Instagram us, they'll, you know, tweet about it. They'll, they'll do lots of things on social media with Facebook, et cetera. So that's where our interaction comes in. We do a lot on, on social media with our team. Um, we did a lockdown video. We've done various videos online. And I think that's where they support us in that way. Cause it, it's on their level. Yeah. That sounds, probably that sound, that sounds rude, but 
on the level that they're working to. If they're younger, they're, they're going to be on their Facebook, they're going to be on Snapchat and Twitter and whatever else. So that's what they do. So if they can support us in that area, that, that really helps. Yeah. It's Snapchat. Is that, is that still a thing? Yeah, I don't know, actually. I said, but no, I said that, actually. But, yeah, I've never used yeah. it. I wouldn't know how to use it, but there you go. <laughs> no, indeed. Me too. Me too. I'm, I'm just uh, just getting my head around Instagram, to be honest. But there there we are. I'm not even sure my head is around Instagram. No, but, it's um, a bit too much, isn't it? The changing face of social media. Indeed. Yeah, I, the other thing I picked up from your, your story is that F&B seems to play quite a large part. Is that something that's happened just by accident in terms of the properties that you've gone to? Or is this something that you're actually just a little bit passionate about? Or both? A bit of both, I think, yeah. I mean, obviously, being at the Manoir for five or six years and learning from the best, yeah. that is renowned for its food and beverage operation. Um, I'm sure, I think they're turning over something like 25 million there now. So it's it's a beast of an operation. And, you know, the, the things that I taught there, we were taught there, by Alan, the uh, old restaurant director, but Clive Fretwell, Sue Williams, obviously she's now at Botley. That set me in good stead. And it was mostly F&B then. But as you, as I went to my first GM role, that was very much led by the hotel operations. So I could learn a bit more about that side. Um, but I think, you know, when I'm off duty, I'll go to a, a nice restaurant. And sadly, like you probably, you're picking everything about the, is the knife straight? Is the, is the serviette straight? What's the way to say yeah. But that's just our life. We are literally concentrated on hospitality, whatever we do, in our sleep, seven days a week. And we, that's just what we do. And, you know, if we go to a restaurant, we'll make sure that, you know, we try and switch off, which is impossible. But certainly F&B is where I like things. But over the years, again, I've had to grow and learn the room side, the commercial side, the strategic side, and then spa and golf on top of that. So it's probably a majority of my management mind but it's not all of it yeah i think i've just been lucky in, in some senses um but uh, as my parents would say you, you you're not lucky you make your own luck my parents said exactly the same thing to me um <laughs> yeah it's um the parents have got uh, a lot to answer for haven't they yes indeed yes. but no the uh, i think that's you're absolutely right i do i've trained myself over the years when it comes to being out and about in f&b to mm. hold it in now and not be that guy at the table going, oh, but look at the way that they're doing that or, or whatever. Yeah. And if it if it's a, a service issue or a food issue or whatever that, that irks me or irritates me at the time, then I, I definitely am not one of these people. I go about dealing with that in a very different way now. I'll happily do that kind of away from the restaurant yeah. after not expecting money off or anything like that unless things are absolutely horrendous. Yeah. But, you know, it's to give them a chance to fix it so and this i would say this to anybody who's listening actually don't if you've had a bad experience don't just go on TripAdvisor and tell the world go to the place first and explain why you didn't think it it made the cut and give them an opportunity to fix things yeah i think uh, you know you know yourself i'm sure you know since lockdown hospitals been battered and punched and beaten we reopen and then the first thing you get is a you know one out five trip view luckily i've not had them but you know, the poor bloody restaurants who were getting these reviews because they made one mistake yeah. without speaking to the manager on the day or the waitress, they just left, paid, and think, oh, that wasn't good enough, so we'll just put a review on. No, I know, I know. I just don't get it. And TripAdvisor, we can talk about TripAdvisor all day, I'm sure, but, you know, they don't help the matters either because, you know, when, when there's a false review on there or it's the wrong restaurant, the wrong person, they say, no, it, it matches our guidelines, we're going to keep it on. Well, it's not factual. 
Yeah. You can't really put a, a derogatory review on a reply because they won't allow you to do that either. So Triple Fairs have got a lot to answer for, but that's, that's another story for another day. Another yeah. podcast. No, I did. <laughs> do we need to edit that out? <laughs> no, but you're right. I mean, what's the point in, uh, in having a public forum for people to air their opinions and then not police it properly? Because it's just a license for false hoods and you know misinformation and all sorts of stuff yeah. but anyway that's yeah. that's neither here nor there let's move into matters of fun and mm. i ask everybody who comes on the show i hope you're ready have you got any funny stories from your career that you can share with us yes i have actually there's one actually um when i was a waiter at le manoir funny enough uh, and sue will remember this sue williams will remember this very well uh, i was on room service got a call from a room list of food, drinks sent up. So I go up with the tray and um, knock on the door. I remember the room name, Gallica Rose. Knock on the door, no answer. Shout room service, good morning, or good evening. No answer. I could hear a bit of a kerfuffle in the room. I don't know what it was at the time. And um, knocked again, said room service a bit louder, and then used my key to go in. The couple were in bed making love, which is fine. No problem. As a waiter, you do your hospitable thing and turn your eye away, set the table up. But on this occasion, um, they're making love and said, yeah, put it there. And they carried on. <laughs> Literally My carried goodness. on. Yes. They must have been enjoying well, that. <laughs> so there's me trying to be as professional as possible, putting the, the um, tablecloth on the table, laying the table up. And I even asked them if they wanted the table there. Yeah, yeah, lay the table up. And literally just carried on all the way through. I must be in the room two or three minutes and they were just carrying on. I mean, we're not talking a bit of petting. We're talking full on making love. Goodness. So, connection, connection, so. connection in multiple connection. places. Yeah, really. So that has kind of stayed in my mind for many, many years. I can understand. You probably needed therapy after that. <laughs> so I do have a chuckle now and again about it. But uh, yeah, that's kind of stuck in my mind. There's a couple of others, but uh, they're probably a bit too uh, risque to mention. Yes. Well, I think that speak to anybody who's worked in the rooms-based business, and I, I doubt that no one would be able to to avoid the fact that they've probably all seen someone naked in a room some or somewhere else in a hotel. I yes. um, remember being night manager on a ship and getting so many calls of people who were drunk, and they've mm. obviously just gone out the wrong door looking for the toilet. Right. Um, and... Wow. Um, yeah, get a call. There's a naked man wandering around at deck 11. Okay, I'll be right there. And, you know, they're, just, they're perfectly lovely and all of that. And, um, you know, so you just have to go armed with a, a few towels just to help yes, them get absolutely. get back to, yeah. But, yeah, very good. That's 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 the first. I think yes, we had, sure. we had uh, Mitch Corlier once uh, on, uh, who's ex-Le Manoir, actually, uh, now mm. in the Town House Hotel, I think. In Mayfair. Anyway, right. um, and he talked about the fact that he got called to a noise that sounded like a screaming dog in a, a room. And it wasn't, uh, as he puts it, it wasn't uh, a dog. It was two people expressing their love for each other. <laughs> um, but there we are. Yes. Uh, the fun and games that go on in hospitality. Indeed. Um, before you go, mm. final question really is is what would be your your top three reasons why somebody should join hospitality if we haven't already covered it well um i think three so there's no same day absolutely not you're never going to get bored in hospitality that's the first thing 
your, your career can take you anywhere in the world, wherever you choose. The reward is your oyster at the moment, purely because, you know, people are desperate for staff all over the world in whatever country, whether a city, you can work anywhere you wish. If you have a little bit of experience, no, not even no experience at all, they'll train you now. Um, so, you know, you can go anywhere in the world, just like you've done on the cruise ships, like I've done. I've been around the country in the Channel Islands doing what I want to do best. Uh, and I think the third thing is there are lots of perks in hospitality. You can go and stay at lovely hotels on you know preferred hotelier rate or you know, see friends at restaurants, all that kind of thing. And you can try these things and get ideas and, and, and bring those ideas back to your own business. And I think, you know, hospitality is very underrated and we, we don't, as you know, we don't have the best reputation, but I don't know why sometimes. It's no, a beautiful nation to be a part of. Yes, sometimes the pay is not great in certain jobs, but like, just like me, just like you, you have to start at the bottom start with being a KP or like I did or a night porter or whatever it may be, you have to start at the bottom to learn the whole aspect of hospitality. And I'm doing this now with a couple of the team members here who are young, who want to learn, but want to be managers now. So yeah. I've tried to kind of rein them in a little bit and say, look, this is what we need to do first. And once we get to that point, then you can start thinking about management because clearly you need to learn about the, the basics first, whether it be health and safety, whether it be well-being, whether it be um, SOPs, whether whatever it may be, they need to understand because I don't want them leaving here, going somewhere else and failing. Yeah. Uh, and that's the trick. So I want to make sure, just like I did with Chris and the, uh, the Belfry I mentioned earlier, making sure they're grounded, they understand, they're learning, and then when they're ready to leave, they're off they go to their next best place. And I think yeah. that, that's the best advice I can give. Well, it, it comes back to the, the there is only now kind of mentality. I mean, focus on your performance in the moment. Yeah. And everything else will take care of itself mm. down the line, you know. And if, if you've got a, a, a great attitude to your work, and that you you get on with people, and that you like to raise people up rather than take mm. them down, then yeah. you know your success will come for you. Absolutely, yeah. no okay. question. Definitely, yeah. Um, and that the the whole I've talked talked about the low pay thing uh, before. It's definitely it's the same in any sector. You know, it doesn't matter really how qualified you are or, or whatever, maybe in, with the exception of, you know, highly skilled trades like medicine and things like that, where you need to put in the, the time and academia. Um, yeah. But, you know, most other sectors yeah, where there's a, a no barrier to entry uh, as such, you can expect that the pay at the beginning won't be groundbreaking. But once you work past that, you know, the world's your oyster. Yeah, and there, there are massive financial rewards for, for achieving great things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Good. Fabulous. That strikes me as a, a wonderfully positive way to wrap things up. Before we go, if people want to, to get a hold of you to learn more about Rockcliffe Hall or yourself and your career, what's the best method for them to do that? Um, they can email me, jason.adams at rockcliffehall.com. Fabulous. And he's very receptive, by the way. Uh, he's always... I, I think I've had um, not so many liaisons with you over the years but every time that we have you've always been quick to come back to me and um and i uh, massively appreciate that pleasure fantastic thank you so much for sharing your story jason thank you phil all the best take care Bye bye. and there we have it another cracking story from jason taking him all over the uk to some amazing properties and no staff issues for two years eh I'll bet his phone will be off the hook after this. We will, of course, be back next Wednesday with another cracking story from hospitality. So until then, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.